But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it. With justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the ability to gather together freely and to worship you. To recognize that you alone are God and that you're good. And that you do forgive us of sin and give us great peace and great hope and joy. So, Lord, I pray that you would just awaken us that to that this morning, encourage us with that, stir that into our hearts, that we would have more joy in Jesus. Lord, be with those who are just struggling today. I pray that you encourage them emotionally, spiritually, physically. Lord, be with those who are in prison today and Need your hope. I pray that you would just bring them people to, to, to see Jesus. And Lord, I pray that my words in my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You might want to flip over to John chapter 4 now, but this is the Advent season. This is the Christmas season. And Advent means waiting in anticipation. And one of the great things about um, the military reunions that people see is they videotape these things. And all these uh, dads and husbands that are coming back from Iraq or Afghanistan, and uh, every week there's a, a new way. There's a dad surprising his daughter at school, or uh, a son goes to his mom's workplace and sits outside, and she comes in. And they, they take these great videos, and all these soldiers, they come in, and the mom or the dad or the boy and the girl had been waiting and waiting in anticipation that mom or dad or their son or their daughter is going to come home. And then they see the moment, and they're so excited about it. They're, they're great videos. And with Christmas and Advent, that's really what we're talking about, this waiting and anticipation with joy. Because we live in what is called, by theologians, the already not yet. The reality is Jesus has come. He did come once. We have Jesus with us, but we are still waiting. We don't have everything yet that we are promised. So we're in the, in the, in the middle of that. And sometimes in the slog of that, we can lose our excitement. And so when you are waiting for somebody, what do you do to help yourself in the wait? And to remind yourself how much you love them. What you do is you think about them. You imagine and think about past memories that you had of them. And you get out the picture book and you take look at the pictures. And you tell the stories over and over again. And you remind yourself, hey, remember when they did that? You know, remember when that happened? Remember how much fun that was? And as you do that, as you remember, as you look at the pictures, as you think about it, what does it do? It stirs in you. Yeah, that's why I love that person. And I can't wait for them 
to come back. And that's what Advent is. And we need to not just rush to the birth or not just rush to the cross. We need to anticipate with the nation of Israel, like they did in Isaiah, that a nation was going to be born. Hundreds of years went by. When people waited in anticipation, but we're not the nation of Israel. Jesus has come. We already have him, but he's not, we don't have everything there. We are in the middle of this already and not yet. And so we do, we do wait. And waiting for a loved one is sometimes like sitting in an unlit room. It's a little dark. And so the way you encourage yourself is you remember, you remind yourself, and you keep looking at the pictures, you keep telling the stories. And the more you remember, the more you look at the pictures, the more you tell the stories, the more your heart is warmed, and the more you anticipate their coming, which is what we're trying to do in the next few weeks as we look at the series about Jesus being our joy. We're going to look at four different ways that Jesus is our joy. And we're going to look at the Gospels and just see Jesus See the stories, remind ourselves of who he is, remind ourselves of the stories, and hopefully it will warm our hearts to have more anticipation and more joy in God because the world really is a dark place. It really is. We see the news, we hear the stories, we experience it in our own lives. The reality is the world is a lost and dark place. But the Christmas reality is that light came into darkness. Christmas is that the creator became a human being. That's what it is. No matter what everything else says, culture has taken Christmas and they've messed it into a great festival and a great celebration. But they're not sure what they're really celebrating is. Christmas is that the creator became a human being. He took on human flesh. The word of God can then be known. Because Jesus took on flesh, he can be known, which means also God can be known by us, and God knows us. And that means real joy can come into the world. And hope and peace is ours, because God knows what we're going through. Jesus took on human flesh. And it's real easy to go through Christmas and know that in your head and not let it really sink into your heart. Not let it move your emotions. Not let it stir your joy and move you closer. Damn, that's my goal for the next few weeks is just say, hey, I want to just push us. Don't just go through all the stuff we know we're going to hear. But why is Jesus our joy? I asked about 20 people in September at our church. Hey, if you answer this question, Jesus is our joy because, just give me, why Jesus is your joy? And I got a number of responses. And so what I've done is taken a number of those responses, kind of compressed them together to say, hey, Jesus is our joy because of this. And that's why we're going to go keep looking at those pictures. We're reminding ourselves of that. And we're going to be refreshed by that. And this morning we're going to see that Jesus is our joy because he is aware of the burdens that we bear. Jesus is our joy because he's aware of the burdens that we bear. Jesus wants to be your joy. Who can care for the burdens that we bear? And we all have them. And we carry them. Some of you carry them spiritually burdens you walked in this morning with. Some of you walked in here with emotional burdens. And some of you have walked in even with physical burdens. And every morning you look at yourself and you see scars or things that have happened to you 
which have been burdens in your life. And Jesus wants to be your joy in those things. He wants to be your joy because he can care for the burdens. And he does care for the burdens that you bear. Because our burdens bother our peace. The, the, the thing that gets us all stirred up is the burdens that we bear. We don't have peace often because of the burdens that we're bearing. We need help with those things. Jesus is very aware of that for us. The reality is we live in a golden age of awareness. Everywhere there's this, uh, everybody's talking about being aware of this and being aware of that. But it doesn't really do much for us just to be aware of things. But the awareness of Jesus does do much for us. And I want to look at John chapter 4 and three individuals who met Jesus and see that Jesus is aware of our sin and shame. Jesus is aware of our stress. And Jesus is aware of our sadness. In John chapter 4, Jesus is leaving with a group of the Pharisees. And he's going to a place called, he has to walk through Samaria, it says. And no good Jew would just go naturally through Samaria back in that time. They just wouldn't do that if they didn't have to. But they were all like, yes, I wanted a shortcut. So they'd say, sure, we'll just go through that way. So Jesus went with, through into Samaria in John chapter 4. And he says the disciples went off to get something to eat. And Jesus was by himself. And he was 100% God, 100% human. And he was thirsty. And John chapter 4 verse 7 says, And a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked me, and he would have given it to you, living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Then Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Jesus walked into a very unique situation with this woman. He's in Samaria. He comes to this well. He's thirsty. This woman comes in the middle of the day. It's about noon. She came by herself. Most of the time, women would come together in the morning or the late afternoon. But this woman was different. She was a woman filled with a lot of sin and shame. She was an outcast amongst her own people, which is why she had to go there at noon. And Jesus is sitting there, and she comes up to him. Or he he says, hey, give me something to drink. And she says back to him, why are you talking to me this way? I think not in a way of, let's just carry on a conversation. This is a woman who thought she'd come there by herself. She didn't expect to see anybody. She knew that nobody wanted to really be around her. She had shame written all over her. She was helpless, alone, I think afraid, and just carried with shame. 
from the guilt of her sin and the shame that she was experiencing. And Jesus was very aware of it. And he talks to her in the midst of this conversation, and he proves it. by He says, hey, I've got this living water. And she says to him, eventually as she's hearing this, well, give me some of that living water. And this is what she says in verse 15. Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. I think she's saying more than just, hey, I, want, I don't want to have to do this work. I think she's saying, hey, I would love to have some of that really living water because I don't want to have to keep coming here to this well every day by myself. Knowing that as I'm walking here, all these people around me, they know who I am. And they treat me terribly. I'm ashamed of this. And I would love to have some kind of living water so I wouldn't have to come here. Give me that. That's, that's wonderful. Because she's helpless, she's alone, she's afraid. And she's the same. Ashamed. And she's guilty of sin, like we are. There is real guilt in sin, but there is also shame that comes along with sin. And Jesus knows this, but look how Jesus handles and talks to her. He calls her right out and says, hey, I know exactly who you are. I know exactly what you've done. I know exactly why you feel the way you feel. And he keeps talking to her, and she moves on into this little distraction, maybe. But she wants to have more of a conversation with him. But Jesus interacts with this sinful, shameful woman. Not like a judge. Jesus interacts with this woman like a first responder to this, to a, on the scene of a mountain crash when the person that was in it was driving foolishly, a bunch of teenagers hot riding up in the mountains, and, and, the, and the first responders know that this is what took place. Hey, a bunch of teenagers, they're, they're drag racing, and one of them fell off the, the cliff. And, and the first responder knows that, that he, and he still goes to the mountain. He still climbs down to where the car is, He still does everything he can with care to help that person. Even though he knows that this is a foolish thing to be here. You shouldn't be on the side of this mountain. If you were doing what you're supposed to be doing, you wouldn't be here. But first responders don't come to people like judges. They come to people with compassion and with care. And that's how Jesus handled this woman. He talked to her with great compassion and with great compare in her sin and in her shame. And he was very aware of it and it didn't scare Jesus off. And it's the same for you as well. Some of you have woke up every morning with cycles of sin that create cycles of shame in your life over and over and over again. And you love to be released from them. And you try for a while. You confess. You repent. You try. And then you fall. And then you go back into guilt. And you go back into shame. And you think, is Jesus going to keep forgiving me? Does Jesus really love me? Have I done it this time? Is it too late for me? Is there no hope whatsoever? But Jesus says, yeah, there's hope for you. I'm aware of your sin. I'm aware of your shame. And I can break through that because of who I am. He told the lady who he was. And then later she was rejoicing. And what she said to the people towards the end of this was, look, I found a man who knew all that I ever did. 
She wasn't afraid to let people know who she was. Jesus does that. That should create joy in us because we're all sinners. We're all guilty. We all have these things that we're ashamed of. But the truth of the gospel is that Jesus breaks through those things and he can break through those things and give us hope. Because of Jesus, our sin can be dealt with, which we're guilty of, and the shame of that can be dealt with, which we don't have to carry anymore. And Romans 8, chapter 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. means that we deserved it. We deserve to be, because we're guilty, and we have shame. But Jesus took on human flesh and said, you don't have to carry that shame anymore. Confess your sin, repent, and I will rescue you. And Romans ten eleven says, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. And some of you might this morning need to say, I've been living with shame for a very long time. I can't overcome this burden. It's a constant guilt and cycle that I can't overcome. I'm not sure Jesus loves me. I'm not sure God could still love me. Jesus does still love you. He does still want to rescue you. And he says if you come to him, Jesus is very aware of it. You don't need to hide in it. You don't need to hide anymore. You just need to confess it, speak of it, let the light of the gospel work in it, and he'll remove it from you. You don't have to walk away in condemnation. Jesus is aware of our sin and shame. And then he moves on to this next story. In John chapter 4, and verse 46, it says he goes back after he met this woman, and he dealt with her sin and shame, and then he's walking back to Cana, where he just got done uh, taking care of turning water into wine, the first sign that Jesus was who he says he was. And he gets back and says, He came back into Cana of Galilee where he made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. And when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And the official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. I mean, Jesus came into the situation. He's going back to Cana. The buzz was still out there. Hey, that's the guy. Jesus turned water into wine. A whole bunch of people were at this party, this wedding. And then all of a sudden, this official whose son is sick is in desperate need for help. I mean, this guy is stressed out. First of all, he's got a very... High-stress job. He's an official in the government. It's not like he's just doing nothing. There's all kinds of pressure on him already. He's trying to survive and make it light through his family, and all of a sudden now his son gets sick. If you're a parent, and your sons are sick, or your daughter's sick, emotionally, physically, even spiritually, that's a burden, isn't it? It's a stress. She can't always run away. And just take care of it. You gotta do your job. You gotta pay the bills. You gotta take care of this situation and that situation. And that's the situation this guy was in. He was in great stress. He was desperate for his son. 
And he comes, and Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and, and wonders, will you not believe? And maybe this was the guy who wasn't at the party for the wedding in Cana. Maybe he got there, and he be- got back to work, and a bunch of people were at, hey, I was at this party, this wedding, and there was a guy named Jesus, and he turned water into wine. And this guy could have been like, that's not going to happen. There's no way that happened. But everybody's talking about it. And maybe he didn't believe it. But when he was absolutely stressed and absolutely desperate, he comes to Jesus and Jesus says, hey, unless you see signs and wonders, will you not believe? But when you're stressed, you don't got a lot of time for chit-chat. You usually cut straight to the chase, which is what he did. He didn't really want to debate if Jesus was who he says he was or did what he did. He just believed, he was desperate that maybe Maybe there was some hope for his son. Maybe there was somebody who could do something about it. And he said, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus was very aware. And he said, go home. Your son's going to live. And he went back. And a servant came out and he said, my, your, your son's fine. And he asked him, what time was he healed? And they told him, and it was the exact same time when Jesus said, your son was healed. American people are stressed out. Harvard did a study last year in 2015 about the burden of stress in America. And it said, of all the reasons why people are stressed, too many responsibilities overall, problems with finances, work problems, health problems, health problems for people in immediate family, problems with family members, being unhappy with the way you look. All of these things cause stress. We just went through a very stressful election in our country. People are stressed out. But the reality is, Jesus is very aware of your stress. He's very aware. He hasn't forgotten it, and he deals with it with unbelievable care. He's he's aware of your sin and your shame. Jesus is aware of your stress. And in the next account, in John chapter 5, After that man's son was healed. And it says, After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there was in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which is five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had already been there a long time. He was aware. And he said to him, Do you want to be healed? And the response of this man, who thought for 38 years they would, there's these pools that they would bring these sick people to, and they would set these people down, and somehow there was living water springs underneath there that would stir the water, and they believed that maybe an angel came down and touched the water, and the first person to get in the water would be healed. But all these lame, invalid, crippled people would sit outside, packed out, waiting, watching the water, and as soon as the water moved, somebody would roll in. And this guy, for 38 years, had been set out there and said, watch the water. I hope you get in today. And for 38 years, he never could make it to the water first. And so when Jesus said to him, and knew that he'd been there a long time, he says, do you want to be healed? And the sick man answered, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred. And while I'm going, another one steps down. That's the response of somebody who's been hardened over time 
with a burden and at this point is just sad about it. Yeah, I'd love to be healed, but I can't get in there. And this is a very sad man. I've got no one to put me in. I've got no one to help me. I'm all alone. And Jesus was very aware of his sadness. And Jesus said to him, not cheer up. It might get better next time. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. But he was very sad. And at this time of year, there is a lot of sadness in people's lives. And Jesus, though, is aware of your sadness. And people do all kinds of things this time of year to deal with it. I read an article yesterday in the Washington Post where her article was, No Drama During the Holidays. And her approach to the, to the holidays was, uh, her, she had a really rough family growing up. They didn't celebrate very well. And so now, she just doesn't put up any Christmas trees, no lights, no trees, no gifts, nothing. She has a no-frills holiday, she says, because she wants to be left alone. But at the end of the article, she talked about how she has a friend that she still gives a gift to. They exchange gifts. There's all kinds of ways to deal with sadness, but the deep down, all of us want to have joy. But Jesus is very aware of your sadness, your grief, and your loneliness. And listen, grief and loneliness are a toxic combination. And left to themselves, they can drag you very far away. But Jesus is aware. And it says in Hebrews 13, I, Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus was aware of the woman at the well's sin and shame. He's aware of yours. He was aware of the cripple, of the, the leader's son's stress. And he's aware of people's sadness. But that's fine just to be aware of things. Our culture is constantly telling us to be aware. Be aware of this. Be aware of this. And it doesn't really do anything for us. We're just more aware, which means we're more stressed. Or we're more lonely. Or we're more angry. Or we're more burdened. But that's not who Jesus is. Jesus is aware of all things, but he's also the answer to our awareness. Jesus is. He is the answer all the way through because John 5 Verse 24 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who has sent me has eternal life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. And if we live and hear that, we can have joy. Because Jesus is our joy because he's aware of the burdens that we bear and he's the answer to the burdens that we bear. I mean, look at Jesus. Look how he handled all these people's situations. You will not meet anybody better than Jesus. He was filled with compassion for these people. He was filled with versatility for all the different situations. He knew exactly how to handle each one of them. And it's a reality. Jesus is real. He really took on human flesh. He's alive. So all of your sin, guilt, and shame can be dealt with. All of your 
stress can be dealt with and all your sadness can be dealt with so you can really have joy. Jesus is God in the flesh. He really did come and he knows. He knows what you're going through. Jesus is absolutely aware of your shame. He's aware of your stress and he's aware of your sadness. Because he's Jesus, what he says to you is he calls you to come. And he says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So the sinner filled with shame, he says to you this morning, come home. Repent. I know about it. Come home, and I will forgive you. To the stressed out one, he says, come. Come to me and be calmed. To the sad ones, he says, come and be comforted. Jesus is aware of the burdens that you bear. And to the degree that you bring them all to him and believe in him, he will fill you with joy, real joy, that will last forever, and your joy will be full. So what are you doing with your sin and shame this morning? What are you doing with your stress? And what are you doing with your sadness? As we come to the table, Jesus would say, come. Come to me. I'm the greatest person you know. And I'm the only one who can really deal with them. I bled and died on the cross from you and for you, and I rose again, and I am alive. And I am here, and I'm calling you. Come. Come home. Come be calmed, and come be comforted. Jesus is our joy, because he is aware of the burdens that we bear. God.
Super Bowl, that's what you are.